Tonight on Talking Politics, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu has officially passed the 100-day mark in office. It may seem like longer given the tumultuous and sometimes exhausting times we're living in and through, but Wu only officially became mayor on November 16, 2021 during a brief ceremony in which she promised a more inclusive, more egalitarian city government, one that delivers basic city services while also making big systemic change. When we make City Hall more accessible, we are all raised up. When we communicate in many languages, we all understand more. And most of all, when we connect the power of city government to the force of our neighborhoods and communities, we see how much is possible for our city. We'll tackle our biggest challenges by getting the small things right, by getting City Hall out of City Hall into our neighborhoods, block by block, street by street. To state the obvious, three months plus isn't enough time to say whether Wu will be able to make her biggest ideas, like a Boston Green New Deal, a reality over the course of a four-year term. But it is enough time to get a sense of whether Wu is following through on the vision she outlined as a candidate. It's also enough time to examine whether being Boston's first ever elected female mayor and mayor of color is shaping the way she governs. To take stock of her biggest early achievements and the challenges she's likely to face between now and 2025 when she'll be up for re-election. Joining me to size up the Wu administration at the 100-day mark are GBH News City Hall correspondent Soraya Wintersmith, Abdullah Fayad, opinion writer and editorial board member at the Boston Globe, and Gintoudis Dumpsius, managing editor of the Dorchester Reporter. Thank you all for being here. Let's start out with Mayor Wu's achievements. I'd like to get each of you to weigh in on what you think the biggest accomplish, uh, single accomplishment she can point to from her first 100 days is. And Soraya, let's start with you. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of things she can point to, as you said, to show that she's adhering to the vision she outlined as a candidate. The biggest one, I think, is the first one that she took on when assuming office is the self-imposed deadline to move folks that were living in tents in mass and cast into secure housing ahead of the cold and snow. Uh, tell me more about why you think that was a great big deal. Is it because previous mayoral administrations had not been able to do it? Is it because that action on her part satisfied an intense need? Is it something else? Why is that the single thing that you point to as her biggest achievement? I think it's a thing the city has been struggling with for quite some time. You'll recall that when Mayor Walsh tried to do it some years ago, uh, there was an uproar about the way that he went about moving people and their things really inhumanely. Wu gave a lot of lead time. She prioritized housing even to the chagrin of some folks that live in the area and city councilors that represent folks in the area. and. Even though we're starting to see people congregate down near Mass and Cass again, the city does have close to 200 beds um, filled with people who are no longer living in tents. Okay, Abdallah, what would you point to as Wu's biggest achievement to date? Well, I mean, there are several, you know, major steps that she's taken as mayor. Um, you know, one thing that I like to point to is, um, you know, her her work on transit. So one major step that she took was extend the fare free pilot program for the 28 route for two more years and added to that two more bus routes, the 29 and the 23, um, which I think is a pretty big deal um, because it puts Boston at the fore, 
you know, allows other cities to look at Boston as an example and, and look at this pilot program to, to study, you know, the, the benefits and the costs of fare free transit in, in, you know, where we can go from there. You know, it's, it's not, you know, a holistic achievement of any big promise that she made on the campaign, but it is a step towards freeing the T, which is, you know, one of her biggest campaign promises. Um, but that's something, uh, you know, about her first 100 days is that, you know, a lot of what she's done are these key steps towards, you know, reaching those bigger achievements, those bigger ideas that she campaigned on for mayor, which really made her, you know, kind of, uh, 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 were the signature of her campaign, you know, kind of a big platform, big ideas. You know, another step is like the Green New Deal. One of the first things, if not the first thing she did while in office was divesting from businesses, uh, you know, whose revenue, 15% of their revenue or more comes from fossil fuels, you know, that's a step towards that goal. So she's kind of been making these steps towards meet, meeting or kind of delivering the bigger promises that she made on the campaign. Since you mentioned the expansion of free transit services, let's take a look at the mayor herself talking about uh, this expansion and why she thinks it's significant. Transportation is about connectedness at the end of the day connecting us to healthcare, to education, to jobs, and to each other. It is the single fastest way that we can achieve our goals when it comes to all of what we're talking about in the city of Boston, from equity and economic mobility, to our climate justice goals, to our public health goals. And one thing that comes through in that bite uh, is the extent to which Mayor Wu sees all these different systems that she wants to revamp in significant ways as interlocking, right? Nothing, nothing for her is in a silo. Everything is related. Sometimes that can feel diffuse, um, but sometimes it makes a lot of sense, and she makes a strong case for interconnectedness. I think she did right there. Gin, how about you? If you had to point to one thing, feel free, by the way, to, to second either Soraya or Abdullah's opinion here, or if you have a different achievement that you'd point to, feel free to highlight that. Sure, I would say the the free bus uh, pilot is is probably the biggest thing, and and surprising it how fast it happened. You know, her first full day in office, she met with uh, with Governor Charlie Baker, who uh, I think, given uh, his comments leading up to her election, was signaling that he was open to some ideas or seeming to indicate he wanted a, a non-aggression pact with a, a Democratic mayor. Uh, I, I think that was a, a you know. The, the fact that he agreed to uh, uh, that and, and said, okay, let's let's do this, uh, that was a big, quick win for her. Um, and I think from, uh, you know, there's certainly the economic impact of making these uh, fares free in low-income uh, low corridors of the city, but there's also the operational impact of it, where uh, because these fares are free, that means people will board faster. There, that means, uh, you know, the, the buses will move along much quicker. So there's a flywheel effect um, that is, uh, you know, makes sense from both an economic and, and uh, operational standpoint. Uh, we'd be remiss as members of the media if we didn't find a way to accentuate the negative as well as the positive. So let's do that for a little bit. Uh, and again, I'm going to stick with you here. What do you think the biggest setback the mayor has experienced to date is? And I'm interested both in things that might have uh, made it harder for her to realize her, her goals that... Uh, occurred on the outside that she had no control over, or potentially any mistakes that she might have made that compromised her ability to get the job done? What do you think? 
Sure. I mean, there's, there's been the small uh, vocal band of, of, you know, I, I think, I guess kooks is a, is a general, uh, a generous term for them uh, that have been outside uh, her house harassing and trying to intimidate her. That certainly made uh, her job uh, uh, harder. Um, and then the other part has been the, the fights with the public safety unions, which uh, historically have been uh, opposed to reform. They have pref uh, preferred, uh, you know, praise and, and more money over uh, reform elements, uh, and that's just been the case historically. Um, so that's been a setback in terms of over the over, fighting over the vaccine mandate, and also possibly previewing uh, fights uh, down the road over over contracts and over whoever the new new police commissioner is. Uh, so so I think that that's certainly been something that she's had to contend with. Uh, you know, I think in terms of any missteps, you know. Uh, I, I wouldn't have uh, called uh, the the some of the folks uh, lashing out at her on on Twitter uh, trolls. I mean, they they are trolls, but I think one one thing you want to do is don't feed them. Uh, so, but uh, you know, I can't cast a stone in that. I've certainly uh, you know lashed out uh, occasionally over my uh, decade over on on Twitter. To do the same. So, I can't I can't uh, criticize her too harshly for that. Well, also you just you just called them kooks, which I'm guessing any of them watching <laughs> will will not be happy with. Let's take a look. Actually, before we um, we hear from Soraya and Abdullah, I want to roll some video of the protesters who were opposed to the mayor's vax mandates making their displeasure known uh, as the Boston City Council was inaugurated earlier this year at City Hall. This year marks 200 years since this, the town of Boston officially became the city of Boston. And actually one, one question I have, um, again, you differentiated between the people protesting outside her house who, who I do think are primarily focused on provoking the mayor, but the people who are pushing back, who are affiliated with the public safety unions, and I think in that protest at City Hall, I, I went into the building um, that day, I think you see it's maybe not easy to draw a line between those two things because there were people there who had uh, signs carrying messages about the reality of COVID or the effects of vaccines that struck me as extremely fringy, but there were also people who were just really irate that the mayor was, as they saw it, infringing on their collective bargaining rights, right? Laying down a condition of employment that they hadn't agreed to. Do you think it's really that easy to demarcate between uh, the fringe protesters when it comes to the vax mandates and the ones who may have some kind of legitimate grievance? Well, yeah, I mean, sure, in any sort of uh, uh, protest or gathering like that, there, there's a blurring of, of, uh, of lines among, among some of the folks. Some, some might not completely agree with, um, you know, what the others are saying. Uh, I think the, the union representatives who, who've appeared before the city council uh, and made public statements, they have distanced themselves from uh, the people, uh, you know, trying to harass the mayor outside her house. Good point. Uh, so so I, I, I do think there is a distinction to be made there. Um, and and uh, the the difference too of of it being a legal battle versus um, you know the harassment and intimidation campaign that's that's happening outside her home. Uh, Abdullah, what would you point to by way of a setback for the mayor that's been significant? Well, I think the mandates, the vaccine mandates, are a big part of it. You know, moving aside from the protests that have happened and kind of the disruption outside her home and outside City Hall. 
you know, I do think it was a shortcoming to kind of repeal the mandate so soon after it was implemented. Um, and it's a shame because, you know, part of the reason, you know, we were told that this mandate was in place was not just to ensure the safety or, you know, increased safety in indoor venues, restaurants and whatnot, but it was also to encourage and incentivize people to get the vaccine. You know, it, it was implemented January 15th. Only one dose was required at the time. You know, three weeks after that, two doses, and then just a week after that, it was no longer in place, or something, something along that timeline. Um, you know, and so I think, you know, it's a missed opportunity to, you know, uh, put boss in there with other cities that have these requirements. You know, it's an imperfect system. You know, restaurants I went to during this period, a lot of them did not check uh, my vaccine card. You know, things like that. But it's an imperfect system. But it does create an environment that can give people who, you know, might be willing to get the vaccine, just haven't yet, um, to, to actually go ahead and get the vaccine. Um, and, you know, uh, what I will say about this is that, you know, there it, it's not entirely on Wu here. You know, the city of Cambridge and Somerville, you know, they ought to have followed Boston's lead on this, but they didn't, you know, which made it kind of more difficult for, for Boston to maintain these mandates. Um, but all in all, you know, Boston should be a leader in this in the region, uh, in the state, and then across the country as well, kind of set a standard, you know, even though we have a high vaccination rate, but set a standard that we're going to do what we can to give people incentives to to get the vaccine. So that's, I think, one of her biggest shortcomings so far. You know, one thing that I've wondered, and I really hope that, that we don't have another COVID wave, it'd be great if it was Omicron and that's it. So fingers crossed for that. But if there is another one, I've wondered, will the mayor and other elected officials, if they are creating a requirement like this, will they implement it really quickly as opposed to saying, we're gonna do this in two and a half weeks? Because if it's an emergency, if it's not implemented right away. I think a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, if this is so urgent, why aren't we doing it now? And then there's also the question of describing the criteria that will lead to the state of emergency being lifted, which I believe it's fair to say Mayor Wu did belatedly. And I wonder if some of the reception, not from the hardcore opponents, but if some people who were uncomfortable with it might've been more amenable if she'd said at the outset, here's what we're gonna do and here's where we'll back off or, or lift regulations a little bit if we're able to. All right, Soraya, you get the last word on a significant setback for Mayor Wu, what would you point to? I have to agree with Ginn. I think the going back and forth with the public safety unions and particularly this appeals court ruling uh, that sided with the trio of public safety unions challenging that mandate. She's still early in her term and I think this is going to hang over the rest of her time as mayor and it's particularly going to play into the specific campaign pledge she made to formalize some of the reforms that she wants for uh, the police department within contract negotiations. So now they're starting from a position of strength where unless we see a higher court's ruling that overturns uh, Justice Sabita Singh of the appeals court's latest ruling, then I think the unions are going to hold that up and say that they are uh, lawful lawfully spelled out uh, public or collective bargaining rights should be adhered to even in the face of an ongoing and fluid pandemic. You and I, Soraya, uh, had a conversation that I, I want to try to revisit briefly here about the, the lasting significance of the protest that we've been talking about at the City Hall, at the mayor's home. Our colleague Peter Kadzis, GBH's political editor, said that he thought that um, the protesters made themselves look bad and, and made Mayor Wu look good. But you, I know, have a bit of a different take on how effective they have been. 
Could you just share with viewers what you said to me the other day? Oh yeah, sure. I, when I think about the protesters at the city council, they started their protest as someone was reading an ordinance or a proposal into the record that referenced the COVID-19 emergency. And right away, the group said, where is the COVID-19 emergency? Within weeks, we saw a pair of counselors file a hearing order insisting that the mayor and her administration need to answer for why Boston is still in a state of emergency uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The same goes for our Magdean at the State House. Even though the protesters were not united, there was a blurring of lines about what they all wanted, but there was a call uh, to reopen the State House. And we saw that happen in that case within days. So it's hard not to look at some of the demands that they have made as they show up in public political spaces and make a demand and then see that politicians respond. It gives them a modicum of legitimacy. And whether you think that they make more noise than sense, our political leaders are adhering to the little bit of sense that they might make. Uh, Abdullah, Mayor Wu campaigned as someone who was going to be a very different type of politician, someone who would uh, incorporate different groups, marginalized communities into the political process, make policy from uh, the bottom up rather than the top down. As we've said, revamp uh, systems that have been in place for decades or even longer. Has she made good on that promise in her first 100 days, do you think? I mean, again, it's a little early in her tenure to kind of kind of judge this, her, 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 her tenure, you know, on this just yet. But at the same time, she has taken some steps. You know, for example, she hired a, a, her, her new chief of staff, who she hired is kind of an outsider, you know, not in Boston city politics. You know, she's coming in from Seattle, used to work in San Francisco. Um, you know, is this... It has a history working with transit, you know, and so, you know, she kind of um, has been delivering with some of her key hires on, you know, diversifying City Hall, making sure that different voices are heard, you know, both when it comes to people's, you know, backgrounds, you know, ethnic gender, but also when it comes to their backgrounds, you know, in, in, in work, you know, not being, you know, entrenched in City Hall or, you know, one of the messages you played earlier was about, you know, taking City Hall outside of City Hall, you know, so she's, trying to bring in these voices, you know, from, you know, outside of, you know, the insider Boston politics scene uh, to kind of get these, you know, to, to expand the ideas, um, you know, that are coming out around them. Gin, you have mentioned to me that there's some skepticism uh, among longtime City Hall observers, maybe former City Hall participants about uh, Mayor Wu's decision to, to bring in people from outside with maybe less experience than prior administrations might have. Oh, what do people think that might be doing in terms of helping or hurting her? Well, I think there's definitely some old hands who have kind of looked at some of the, the hires and said there's not a lot of experience on the on the fifth floor there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's definitely something something to watch, but you've also got, you know, uh, Dave Vitterini, who's an advisor to her. He's He's been in City Hall a long time. He's very well respected by both, you know, the, the new uh, the, the the new folks and and the, the old hands as well. Uh, and then uh, you've got Mike Firestone, uh, who's the, the chief of policy, uh, who uh, I believe considers Mike Kenevy, Menino's, 
uh, number two as a mentor. Uh, so it's it's something to uh, to keep an eye on. She's still filling out her her uh, her team. She still uh, wants to hire a, a chief of planning uh, to help reform the BPDA, uh, as well as a, a green new deal uh, czar. Uh, my my word, not hers, I believe. But uh, you know, so so I, I think it's one of those things where you know where she she's still pulling together her administration and and it's and and and, uh, and these crucial folks who will be in place for the next uh, at least for the next three years. Uh, Soraya, uh, what do you think about the outsider insider different kind of politician question based on what we've seen so far? I think she has, to her credit, made a priority of delivering comments at press conferences in multiple language, consistently Spanish, and if there is ethnic press present, then also in Mandarin. That is a way that she is incorporating marginalized people into the fold of City Hall. Um, I think sometimes with the spate of announcements that have come out, they happen with less than all of the details that a reporter could want, but I think that's just a journalist's criticism. <laughs> okay, so you mean she'll roll out a new initiative without making it entirely clear how it's going to work, maybe where the money is going to come from? Is that what you're talking about? Which here? is a common thing that politicians do, right? So when we're looking for details about what the funding source is and how much taxpayer money is actually spent, those questions are not immediately answered. The press office will get them to you eventually, but not during the rollout. And those are important questions. All right, we only have a few minutes left. I don't know if there's anything that has surprised the three of you when it comes to the mayor's tenure to date, but if there is, I'd like to hear it. Soraya, uh, you get first crack at this one. We've already reviewed the protest that occurred outside of her home. I think I'm really surprised at the sustained energy with which it happened just on a residential street. Um, as a Boston outsider, I think there's a lot of respect for neighborhoods and families and people who, you know, earned the money to put themselves in a place where they want to house their family and be quiet, and that just hasn't happened. Yeah, and you contrast it with the protests at Governor Baker's house. Um, there were some sustained ones there, but they were weekly rather than daily. So this is a, a everyday intrusive fact of life in the mayor's neighborhood. Again, uh, how about you? Any big surprises? I, I would say mostly just the speed at the, the speed at which she's implemented some of these things. Uh, you know, the, bu the bus uh, pilot being being one of them. Uh, you know, it's it's a government wheels tend to grind fairly slowly, uh, and and she's made it a point of of moving quick. All right, Abdullah, any surprises on your end? You know, one of the things that is surprising is, you know, as you know, mayors in big cities tend to get become very unpopular very quickly, um, you know, once they're in office. But one thing that has surprised me is not only that she is still popular, but, you know, the core, her, her base is still very energized by her election and, you know, kind of the sustained national media attention, you know, that this progressive mayor has gotten, you know, in contrast to other major cities. Um, you know, that have elected more moderate Democrats, uh, you know, in recent years for mayor. So, you know, the groundswell of support in, you know, the core progressive wing of the party, you know, is, is still there and it's sustained. And so I'm interested to see, you know, how long that will last. Um, but that's certainly, you know, the excitement, the energy that's still there is, is, you know, surprising at this stage. Tell me if I'm right. Uh, 
We haven't seen polling data, right, on job approval for her yet. And I know she's only been in office 100 days, obviously, but no recent polling, correct? No, yeah, that's right. I, I'm, I'm not aware of any recent polling. Okay. All right. So looking ahead to her next 100 days and beyond, I'd like to hear what you are going to be most interested to track moving forward. Abdallah, let's stick with you. What are you going to be watching? You know, one of the things that Mayor Wu has to do in office is work with the state legislature in order to actually achieve her big ideas. Um, you know, so a lot of the fights that she's taking on will require more than city council, but, you know, working with the governor, working with the state legislature. So, you know, something to look out for, whether it's, you know, free transit, you know, or, or, or increasing, you know, taxes or, or rent know, stabilization, taxes. right? Right, rent stabilization, taxes on, on property transfers, these kinds of things will require the legislature's approval. So, you know, she has to build a broad coalition with Massachusetts politicians across the board um, if she wants to actually achieve what she promised on the campaign. And so that's certainly something to look out for in the months to come. Again, what are you going to be watching? Well, I'm, I'm going to... Uh... There's the criticism where the, the media likes to talk about itself, and I'll, I'm going to indulge in that a little bit. Um, you know, 10, 10 years ago, uh, Boston was uh, considered a two-newspaper town. It is no longer, and uh, and I think that's a good thing, uh, because if you look at, um, you know, you've got Universal Hub, you've got two public radio stations, you've got TV, uh, the neighborhood uh, papers such as the Dorchester Reporter, where I work. And uh, I, I think it's important for for uh, any any sort of elected official to uh, engage uh, with um, the, the 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 papers and and uh, radio and TV, and uh, I, I believe Mayor Wu was pretty good at that uh, on the campaign trail. And her her folks are are she and her folks are both uh, very good at social media. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, not everybody is on social media and uh, it's, it's important to uh, reach out to the neighborhood papers as well. Okay. Soraya, you get the final word here. What are you going to be watching? There are multiple things to be watching at the risk of undercutting myself just as a portion of the media that Gin just mentioned. I would say mass and cast, um, moving from the temporary housing structures that we see the folks in now to what happens with the court fight with Quincy and what happens with the facilities on Long Island, this early childhood office that she just announced this week. How does that turn into universal pre-K, which the city has been trying to pursue for a long time? I will just say, overall, the theme is to observe whether or not these initial indications of adhering to campaign promises evolve yeah. into funding priorities and into administration priorities. And let me throw out, just so we don't get angry viewer emails, school superintendent search and police uh, 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 superintendent search or police commissioner search. And her first budget. Other than that, right, quiet time ahead. Okay, Soraya Wintersmith, Abdallah Fayad, and Gintaudis Dumpsius. Thanks to all of you. Finally tonight in last week's show when I was talking with our new Morning Edition hosts, Paris Alston and Jeremy Siegel, about how they plan to cover politics, I said something that made the ears of Bob in Melrose prick up. He emailed, you said last week on your show that people have questioned why have another show about politics. In response, you said you have a broad definition of politics. This reminds me of one. Politics is about power, and power is about who gets what, when, and how. Is this the central issue you were talking about on your show? First off, Bob, thanks for watching and writing. And to answer your question, I would say, 
sort of. As I said in that interview, although upon review I said it too quickly, for me, politics is about how humans order our lives together and how we try to create a just society. That might be a slightly broader definition than the one you suggested. I like it because it includes the identities that we construct for ourselves or that others impose on us, the way we think about human nature and the possibilities and limitations of political change, and the norms that we've embraced that are supposed to keep disagreements about these things from degenerating into political violence. But, Bob, if all that is included in your definition of politics, we are on the same page. As always, thank you for the feedback, and please keep it coming. You can email us at talkingpolitics at wgbh.org. Reach us through the GBH News website at gbhnews.org slash talkingpolitics, or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam. Thanks again for watching, and good night.